0: So now, as we celebrate Christmas, we are reminded through our international headlines and some of our domestic headlines as well, that certainly not everyone is so fortunate as to be able to enjoy the festive season. There are around 65.6 million people forcibly displaced around the world. Refugees, in other words, according to this year's UN Refugee Agency data. That is unprecedented. But still, we need to put faces stories behind the figures the man book nominated novel exit west by pakistani writer martin hamid has skillfully put a face on that and we have the honor of inviting him to be this morning's person thank you so much for joining us today thank you so uh, i mean something that you've Become known for is writing about Pakistan society, its modern day challenges with your previous books, Moth Smoke, The Reluctant Fundamentalist, How to Get Filthy Rich in Rising Asia. What prompted you to move into the refugee crisis?
1: When I was three years old, my family left Pakistan to move to California. My father did his uh, PhD at Stanford. Uh, I moved back to Pakistan when I was nine and then to America for university at 18, London at 30, back to Pakistan at 38, uh, about eight years ago. So I've been a migrant my whole life. And in the last few years, the growing anti-migrant sentiment that we've been seeing all over the world, uh, in the U.S. and Europe, um, but also in places like uh, 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 Myanmar and uh, in Asia where different groups are being treated as migrants whether they are or not and discriminated against. is something I take personally. I think that this anti-migrant sentiment is actually kind of anti-human sentiment and, uh, and I wanted to write about a future of mass migration that was not uh, an apocalypse.
0: What was it like for you personally to adjust to those very different societies that- that you've personally encountered. I guess um, the UK and the US wouldn't be radically different, but to be coming backwards and forwards to Pakistan as well.
1: Well, uh, you know, when I first moved, it was 1974, and uh, I moved to California from Pakistan, and I didn't visit Pakistan again until 1980. Uh, and uh, in that time, uh, I didn't speak to anybody on the phone in Pakistan. Um, I never visited Pakistan. I became a completely Californian kid. Uh, I didn't speak a word of Urdu by the time I moved back to Pakistan in 1980. I had to relearn Urdu uh, after having first learned it as a child. And then when I moved from America to Pakistan in 1980, um, again, I was completely cut off. You know, uh, we didn't get the same films or TV shows, uh, the same food. Uh and the world today where in Lahore you can watch American T V shows and eat American breakfast cereal is very different from the world back then. So it was a it was a shockingly jarring experience each time and and culturally uh very strange. Uh and so I adapted I think the way many uh, young uh, children adapt by being a bit of a chameleon. You know, I learned to act uh like an American when I was two years old and I learned to act like a Pakistani when I was nine. Um and as I got older, uh, I felt that even though I could come across as quite American or come across as quite Pakistani, um, I felt a sense of foreignness wherever I was. But, uh, but then I began to realize that, in a sense, everybody feels a bit foreign, even people who've never moved. So if you're the only child in a family of engineers who wants to be a poet uh, or the only daughter uh, in a family with six brothers, Uh, you feel a bit foreign, and foreignness is something fundamental to being human. And Mm. once I began to realize that, uh, the need to be a chameleon sort of fell away, and the ability to see everybody as a kind of migrant or foreigner, regardless of whether they're geographically moved, uh, began to become much stronger.
0: But clearly at the moment, I mean, all those millions, it's impossible to... um tell everybody's story in one sweeping sentence but but many of those will have had their own horror stories so much so that i think we've become numb to the big data how did you set about putting heart and soul back into these stories
1: well in in two ways um one is oftentimes when a journalist reports from a place they report from the outside you know, here is this person, here's what's happening to them, here's what they look like. Uh, as a novelist, what I try to do is to report, in a sense, from the inside. I imagine what it's like to be this person and offer to the reader a chance to imagine being someone else. Um, and that experience, the lived experience from inside someone else's perspective is, is, I think, unique to fiction. You know, when we read novels, we go inside the characters, we imagine what life is like being them which hopefully counteracts uh, some of the numbness that you described. But the second thing uh, is to explore the notion of whether uh, we are all, in some senses, refugees. You know, all of us had childhood friends and went to schools and did all these things when we were young kids, and those words have disappeared. Um, the school perhaps no longer exists. Our friends have moved away. The gentleman who sold us ice cream has died. Um, And this sense of the past being a place we cannot return to, which consumes uh, everybody we love over time, uh, uh, that is a shared sorrow that every human being partakes of and that we deny a lot of the time. And so partly what I was trying to do was to remind us of our own status as migrants through time, as refugees from our own childhood, uh, as people who are suppressing these sorrows, So that we can recognize in the refugee, not some different kind of person, uh, but somebody who is very much uh, related to, and a kindred spirit to ourselves.
0: And there is that sense of magical realism in the story with portals leading to different locations. How did you come up with those elements? Why were they important to the story?
1: Well, the normal obeys the laws of physics um, in every aspect except one, which is that these doors have begun to appear. And if you step step through one of these doors, you uh, perhaps are in your bedroom in uh, Seoul and you step through a black door, which used to be the door to your dressing room or bathroom. Uh, But now it takes you to uh, uh, Sao Paulo or Mexico City or Kinshasa or London. And um, uh, this device, in a way, allowed me to do two things. It allowed me to um, have the next several centuries of human migration occur in just a year or two, accelerate something which is likely to happen in any case. But also, it allowed me to capture the feeling of technology in our lives because increasingly technology is collapsing a sense of distance. You and I could be having this conversation, via skype and we'd be looking at each other and it would feel as though you were my neighbor and i was looking through the window of your house uh but in reality you're in south korea and i'm in uh uh, dubai at this moment um similarly with aircraft with telephony with the internet where at one moment we're you know browsing the web thinking about the news and the next day next instant we are thinking about you know uh, the history of the human race or the surface of Mars, or the fictional land of Westeros, our minds leap in a way across geographies and time uh, in a way they never had before. And so the doors capture this technological reality where distance is collapsing, geographic distance is collapsing.
0: Today, of course, with the the wave of migration stories, one of the common features um, keeps us apart. That is of the identity of, say, for example, religion uh, and the Islamophobia that's that's risen in many parts of the so-called West. Is that something that can be overcome, do you think, going forward, if this is going to become even more frequent, um, the, the spread of people across the world, or or will those differences characterize us as, as we enter perhaps deeper conflict?
1: I think what we are confronting is a reality uh, where, where our notions of belonging to some kind of pure tribe have become entirely counterproductive. So, in Pakistan where I live, um, the country was founded as a homeland for Muslims. But today, 70 years on, it seems nobody is Muslim enough. Um, people are persecuted for their variation on Islam, or their deviation from whatever is thought to be Islam. But similar things are happening in America, you know, where Donald Trump seems to say that only a particular kind of American is a true American. Uh, that kind of American usually being somebody who is white and Christian, uh, and in Europe and across Asia. And uh, and I think the that these impulses towards pure uh, civilizations are are self-destructive, because um, we see in Pakistan how it's being consumed by these divisions. But America is currently being consumed by these divisions, as are many other places. Um, What we need, it seems to me, is to transcend this notion of purity, uh, to embrace a kind of mongrelized sense of what a human being is. Um, So many Koreans, for example, will have relatives who have lived in America, who uh, themselves have lived in America. And even if they are Korean genetically and ancestrally, uh, they have been mongrelized by their American experience, similarly Pakistanis and Americans and whatnot. And so I think moving away from purity, from a fetishization of purity, and embracing a sense of diversity is vital not just in some kind of rhetorical sense that it sounds good to do this, but the opposite, a search for purity in our complex societies, becomes a a recipe for civil strife and, I think, um, violence, and has to be avoided at all costs.
0: Morsin Hamid, we've got to leave it there, but it's been wonderful having you with us um, talking about your book, Exit West, on the New York Times 10 best of 2017 list um, and about your own experiences and observations of a migrating society.
1: Again, great to have you with us. Thank you very much.